Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. Once again, we return to the theme of hope. There are many promises in scripture which say God has every intention to make you be like Jesus so you can share in Jesus' love, his life, his work, and his glory. All we have to do is follow. Today's passage, Romans 8, gives us three specific truths that support our hope. We hope you find this text as encouraging as we did. Hey, today we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. If you want to open it uh, in, your, in a Bible or turn to it on your phone, or there are some Bibles in the back if you would like to grab one. Those of you watching this online in the recording, welcome. I'm glad you've joined us. So um, I sort of play the piano. And I, it is my hope that I get better at playing the piano. So I'm more of a chord and rhythm player. So if there's a band, I'm, I'm really good. If I'm by myself, not so good. And I have been, because I would like to get better, I have been working on it. I've got this book on how to do proper fingerings and how to get your brain and your fingers and the keys to all work together. And I'm slowly, faithfully working through this book. Um, my hope is that I will become a better piano player. That is why I'm doing this work. And there's a couple pieces that I'm working on that I thought I was doing really well at. Very simple Mozartian kind of things. And um, so I decided to put a metronome on. A metronome just keeps time, a click thing, click track. And the idea is that you learn to pay exact attention to the rhythm. I'm like, okay, here goes. And my songs completely fell apart. Like I couldn't do anything because I could focus on the piano, but to also be listening while focusing the piano was one thing my brain just couldn't do. And I was just laughing at how I thought I was good and then nope, really not good at all. But I am, so I, I'm practicing, I'm doing these classes so that I get better at playing the piano. Like that's the goal of doing all this. Do you have anything that you work at getting better at? You just think, you know, I'd like to get better at moving my body, squatting. So, you know, so that I can move like my, like your kids move. Anything? Sometimes, yeah. Like we, we pick out these, I want to get better at running. I want to get better at cooking. I want to get better at push-ups. And so we do that activity to get better at that activity, right? We don't, we don't do push-ups hoping to become a better musician, right? What we do is at the goal. So that's going to matter because what, we're going to, what this whole chapter 8 is about is becoming more like Jesus. And we become more like Jesus by following Jesus, which is brilliantly simple, I know. But it's amazing how complex that gets. So for the past 10 weeks, we've been looking at different topics all under the heading of following Jesus in fresh ways. If you remember in December, I mentioned that it would be fun to do a season of just thinking about what are fresh ways to follow Jesus. And some of the topics we've covered have been about removing obstacles or walls that prevent us from really hearing Jesus and really paying attention to what he's saying. So we've talked about grief and loss. We've talked about anger. We've talked about sin. We've also spent some time on understanding God's agenda for us. We've talked about justice and evangelism and an appropriate response to what he's done in our life. And through this, we've hit hope a couple of different times. For myself, one of the ways I'm practicing following Jesus in fresh ways is not planning out this whole series ahead of time, but rather each week just sitting with Jesus and saying, what would you like me to talk about this week? Um, and it would be easy 
for that to be to cause a lot of anxiety. Like, you know, I've got to speak in five days. What am I talking on? But instead, what I've developed is a greater confidence in his ability to tell us, like to tell me what we are going to talk about this week. Um, and as we often find on Sundays, what I speak on lines up with other things that have happened in the service. So I've just developed a greater confidence in Jesus' ability to lead. So this week, like, Lord, what would you like me to talk on? And he said, hope. And I said, but I've talked about hope recently. In fact, I think I hit it even last week a little bit. Um, and he didn't give me any other thing to work on. And then I said, okay, if it's hope, what, what? And he said, the passage, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Oh, that I can preach on because I haven't hit on that. So that's what we're going to look at. That's in Romans 8. All things work for the good of those who love him. And I'm going to highlight just three pieces of hope that is in this text. And it all dances around... Um, it all dances around being a disciple of Jesus. As disciples, God has a goal in mind for us. His goal is good. And his goal is about us being incorporated into the life of Jesus. That, uh, that we are invited into the love of Jesus. In God's love for Jesus, we're brought into God's love. We're brought into Jesus' work and what Jesus is doing. We we're invited to share in that. And we're invited to share in the glory of Jesus, that when his work is done, we will actually be in a new age, in a perfect planet with perfect bodies and perfect minds and perfect emotions. We will be glorified as, Jesus, as God the Father glorifies Jesus. And the hope in this text is there's nothing that's going to steal this plan or steal you away from God's plan for you. And there's three things where God's saying, or that Paul is saying, these are promises that God's plan for you will meet its completion. So let's read. And um, so I'm going to read from the, the New Living Translation. And, and it starts sort of halfway into an argument where uh, the author's talking about God's grand plan to repair his creation and repair us as well. Make sense? Good. Let me read. No, let me pause and pray. Father, your word speaks. Would you please speak through your word and draw us not only to the hope, but to the, to not only to the assurance of hope, but to the vision of what sharing in the life of Jesus will mean for us in all of that wonder and beauty and glory. Um, please speak to us through your word today. Amen. So verse 18, going through the end. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly, I love this, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And we know that all creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a thick passage. It's a juicy. There's lots in there. So there's a tremendous amount of hope. There's hope that creation will be restored, released from death and decay, that our bodies will be released from sin and suffering. There's hope that the Holy Spirit helps us when we pray. There's hope that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. There's hope that no one can accuse us or condemn us when Jesus, when the Father is the judge and Jesus prays for us. 
And there's hope that nothing can separate us from God's love. Therefore, we will make it to the goal. And the goal is that you will become like Jesus and you will share in Jesus' glory, you will share in Jesus' love, you will share in his work to renew. Nothing can stop that goal. We live on a planet that is groaning. Because we know we wrestle at this point still with sinful desires and sinful tendencies. We wrestle when we suffer and when we go through hard things. The Lord is making these promises to say he's doing his part to work through all of that to get us to where we need to go. All we have to do is continue following Jesus. It's kind of like me saying all I got to do is follow the teacher as I practice my piano and I'll get to the goal. So to make hope real, let's pause and connect with the groaning of the planet. Because if you don't connect with the groaning of the planet, hope might just be theoretical. Can you identify even just one area or maybe a few areas that you would love to have Jesus fix? And it might be something within yourself Man, I wish this part of me was fixed. I wish this part of me was released to be who I think I really am. Maybe it's something in your family or in your neighborhood, on your street, or something in the city or in the province or across, you know, in Canada, across the world. Can you bring in a few things that you just think, I would love to see this fixed? Our culture says, you know, be the change you want to see. Remember Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror? Make that change. Uh, the problem is we know that we struggle with this stuff, right? Like we, for all our best intentions, we still do stupid stuff. And that stupid stuff hurts people. And we also struggle sometimes to do what is good. It's not just that we want to stop what is bad or the dumb things we do. We also get tripped up trying to do the good that we're trying to do. We get derailed. So to bring that frustration into your mind and then find hope. When we talk about the righteousness of Jesus, it's not just that he's morally right and that he um, is blameless or that he's innocent. It also means he's doing the right stuff. He's doing the right things. You know, so there is a righteous way to talk with someone, a right way that builds them up. There's a righteous way to do your job that is not just morally good, but it's the right way to build the chair. God is inviting us in Jesus to participate in the fullness of rightness. The right way to talk with people, the right way to build the chair so it doesn't collapse. And so there we see the hope, right? We understand the groaning of creation. We understand our shortcomings. We understand that Jesus has got the right way. And the hope is God intends for us to become like Jesus, to be in Jesus. So with that, hope number one, the Spirit prays for us. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us 
with groans that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. There's an incredible idea here. And if this was the one thing I would have you keep, it would be this. The Holy Spirit, if you believe in Jesus, resides in you. Mystery, that God's Spirit gets put into believers. That Spirit considers what you are going through and offers up prayers on your behalf. That's incredible. Like the Spirit is in you, sees what you go through in a day, understands where your heart aches, where your mind's not working right, where your emotions are broken, sees what you do, and offers its own prayer to the Father on your behalf, so personal to where you're at. And what he prays for you is perfectly in harmony with God's will. And the Father sees all and knows all, and he hears what the Spirit is praying for you. That's incredible. You are so not in this life on your own. So it says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The, weak, the word weakness is uh, the limit of the human condition. Like it's just the limits we hit. My friend and I were reflecting on mistakes we made when we were young. Did you ever make mistakes when you were young? Um, and you know, we were looking back at things that we've done wrong, but realizing that at the time, we were at the limit of our ability to do anything else. It's like we didn't have enough self-control. We didn't know enough about how life worked. There was no other thing we could have done, but we recognized that what we did was not helpful. It was, you know, in the realm of sin. That's just the limit of being human. But the Holy Spirit understands that. And so the Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. How do you translate uh, or like how do you translate these things that you can make sounds on but you can't find words for? You ever been so angry that all you can do is swear because you couldn't for the life of you figure out how to put that frustration into words? Or you're so frustrated all you want to do is pull out your hair but you know that there's a way to express that but all you can do is pull out your hair. The Spirit is able to take that and put it into the words. Imagine the Spirit saying, Father, you know, this person is in such pain. They're in such grief. They're in such sorrow. They're so embarrassed. Would you help, encourage, love, forgive, like whatever the prayer is? It also means if we're praying for something, you know, with our mind, but our prayer is out of step with God's will, the Holy Spirit is still praying for us in step with God's will. So you're like, please give me that thing that I really want. And the Spirit might be praying, actually, that's really going to cause a lot of pain. Maybe that's, that's not the thing to give right now. Like, we're not in this alone. God himself is walking with us, in us, to help us get to the goal that is good. So here's an interesting experiment. One day when you're praying... If you're praying and you feel a little bit out of sorts or you're unfocused in your prayer or whatever, ask God to show you what the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Like in prayer, to, and it'll, you'll have to be quiet, 
like, you know, don't talk, but just ask God, can you show me, can you tell me what is the Holy Spirit praying for me right now? Especially when you're wound up. And then just sit and see what happens. And an image might come to mind, words might come to mind. God knows how to speak to you in a way for you to understand. But it's just, it's just interesting. This morning I was um, wrestling with some plugged up emotions. And, and I did this. Lord, what is the actual prayer I'm trying to say here? And it was neat where God's like, well, actually, you're feeling overwhelmed not by this and this and this issue. You're feeling overwhelmed because you're getting overwhelmed by your emotions. And, and that led me onto my own path of understanding how the wounds in my emotions can be tripping me up. But just to stop and say, Lord, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. What are my prayers? You've also heard it when I pray for people and I stop and I'll say, Lord, is there anything else I can pray for? I just pause and I give God a chance to tell me something that I can pray for the other person. So hope one, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. Hope two, the Father has a plan. Verse 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. As I've said, God's good plan is that you become like Jesus. And God can work through whatever happens to reach that goal. Whatever you have gone through, whatever you're going through, nothing's going to throw him. The passage does not say that all things are good. The passage does not say that God causes all things. The passage does not say that good is our wants and our pleasures, that God works in us to get us what we want. It doesn't say that. What it means is God is sovereign and nothing can happen where God says, huh, well, that really messes up my plans. That doesn't happen. There's no God saying, well, that prevents everything. So again, this is pretty incredible that whatever ugly or unwanted thing comes into your life, God can use it for your benefit, which is a huge act of faith, an act of trust. Imagine looking at this thing that has come into your life or this thing that happened when you were younger and holding it and presenting it before Jesus and saying, I'm going to offer this unwanted, ugly thing that I wish was never part of my life. I'm going to offer it to you. Can you redeem it? Can you somehow use this to help me become more like Jesus? And you could even say, could you ask, tell me, what it is I'm going to pray for, for this to happen. Some of the nasty stuff we go through teaches us to be more dependent and more attentive to God. But that's a very simple sentence for a very complex journey. Verse 29 is important, but it's very confusing. So I, but I, and I need to hit it. In the NIV, verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he predestined, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
one way this gets interpreted that I think steals hope is the idea that God decided ahead of time who would become his disciples and those are the people he saved. That steals hope because what if you're not one of the ones he chose? And sometimes people can have a nagging doubt that sits with them for years. Am I one of the chosen? Am I one of the ones he's saving? If I mess up, does that mean I wasn't one of the ones I'm saving? Like that can really throw us. So let me unpack uh, three points on just that verse that I hope will increase your hope. In the Bible, when God talks about knowing something ahead of time, foreknowledge, most often, if not always, it has to do with relationship, not knowledge. It's not like he goes, oh, yeah, I saw Francine 4,000 years ago. It's not that. It's God saying, I see them and I choose to love them. And I choose to love them first, before they know me, before they really understand what I'm about. I'm going to love them first. And because I love them, I'm going to start working in their life and I'm going to call them to come know me. That's foreknowledge. And so it says, those he loved, he decided that they would become like his son. And in the NIV, it uses that word predestination. The emphasis is not that you were predestined to be saved. It's that you were predestined, God, the Father predestined what people would be like. It's not oh, they're going to look like the Buddha. They're going to look like that uncle we once knew when we were younger who was really cool. Or they're going to look like Hercules. He's saying he predestined them to look like Jesus. Like that's the emphasis. And he decided that because Jesus is the one the Father loves the most. And so he's shaping us to be like Jesus, to be in Jesus so he can share with us his most love, like to love us the most. The emphasis of the whole book of Romans is that we're saved by the rightness available to us when we are in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, when we surrender trying to, when we surrender trying to do good on our own and trying to build our own virtue, but just submit and let Jesus be king. This book is all about Jesus and his strength. So he's predestining us to say, Jesus is what you're going to look like because I love Jesus and you will be loved by me in Jesus. So then there's this question, what does it mean that he knew us ahead of time and predestined us? Does that mean um, we don't have a choice? It's kind of the question. And a really good example for this is ancient Israel. And some teachers have even said, the language in this text sounds like how he speaks about ancient Israel. Because uh, the first one that God chose to love first, foreknowledge, was Abraham. God chose to make himself known to Abraham. And then from Abraham, he developed a nation of people that would follow him. Did all the people in Israel through all of history remain part of God's spiritual family? No. Some of them, by their disobedience, by, their, by not believing or surrendering their faith, their trust, they decided to opt out. So Solomon would be an interesting question. Solomon was part of Israel. He was the king of Israel. He was part of God's 
family. But Solomon lived, a, in the end, a very broken life. Did he opt out? So that's, that's always an option. Can I opt out of my walk with God? Yes, I can. And if I do decide to opt out, to walk away from God, God will probably spend the rest of my life trying to get me back. But I still play a role in this. But if we return to this category of hope, this passage is saying God intends to bring you to full maturity in Jesus, that you become a full participant in the kingdom of God. He loves you. He calls you to know him. He gave you right standing before God and he shares his glory with you. All you gotta do is trust and follow Jesus. All you gotta do is remain a disciple and he will get you where you need to go. All you gotta do is continue to follow the piano teacher, you'll become a piano player. Which means thoughts like, I am not a very good person, God doesn't love me, that doesn't fit this. I am nothing like those people who are good people who go to church all the time. Nope, that doesn't fit this thinking. If you have even a flicker of faith in you that says somehow I think Jesus is the guy who makes things right and that's all I know, God is working in your life and has every intention of bringing you to full glory. God sees you, he knows you, and he is working in your life. So hope one, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Hope two, the Father has a plan. Hope three, Criticisms, condemnations, and persecutions cannot stop what the Father is doing. Verse 31, what shall we say about all these wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If God gave what he loved most dearly to rescue us and bring into loving relationship, won't he give us whatever else is also necessary? If I sold my house to have enough money to help my friend, I would also be willing to sell my watch if a little bit more money is necessary. Like if you've given your most, then a little bit more is fine. That makes sense? Like there's nothing you're lacking. Verse 33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So who's going to bring the charge when God's the judge? So I mean, you're in court and your prosecution says, Your Honor, someone has previously declared Curtis innocent and upright, but I have a list of charges I'd like to present things that he's done wrong, that should kick him out of the kingdom of God. And God goes, oh yeah, I was the one, God as the judge says, yeah, I was the one who cleared him. Who's going to bring a charge? The judge cleared us. Who's going to condemn us? Jesus is at the Father's right hand, praying for us, defending us, supporting us. If an accusation comes, Jesus is stepping in going, oh no, I got this, I'll cover this. So whatever accusation comes, whatever condemnation comes, there's no sticking power. There might be things we have to face in our life, stuff we have to own and apologize for, but none of it removes us from God's plan to make us like Jesus.
And even that section on persecution and um, pain and trouble and hardship and famine, God's, the history of God's people on earth have always experienced this. That has not been a, the reason that people stop following God. Like that's, that's always been part of the experience. So let me leave you with just the question, what steals your hope? Like if you think about the assurance that God gives us, what actually steals your hope that would leave you uncertain or without a foundation? So let me summarize. God has a plan to make you like Jesus, to share in the life of Jesus, to share in the love that Jesus experiences, to share in the work of Jesus, and to share in the glory of Jesus. And this passage has three hopes. The Spirit is inside of you, considering your situation and praying for you, perfectly in line with God's plan. Second, God can work in absolutely anything to bring about his plan. He loved you. He calls you to know you. He made you right before him. He will bring you to glory. Nothing can cause him to trip up and and not complete his work. If you need anything more, he'll give it. So who's going to condemn? Who's going to accuse? When the Father is our judge, he's cleared us. Jesus died for us, and he's beside the Father defending us. All we have to do is follow. So then, what would steal our assurance that God has, will do everything he intends to do? What would steal our hope? So let's stop there. Um, what has the Holy Spirit been sort of, how has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you? Where, he's been, where has he been drawing your attention? Yeah, I like passage 38 where it says, uh, for I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love, neither death nor life, neither angels or other certain heavenly rules or power, neither the present nor the future. I like that passage. Yeah, nice. Means God is there all the time for us. Yeah, exactly. Good. I was so struck by uh, how much God is doing in this in this passage, and how little there is about us other than just receiving blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Even the Holy Spirit. The God prays to God for God's will to be done uh, while God works in the background, preparing our, our you know, our, our path through it and providing all of the things that we need. And it comes back to the same statement that Jesus said to the disciples. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just follow me. I'll make sure that everything you need is provided. Just follow me. And it's lifted such a weight off of me this morning. And I don't know what the weight really was, but just this whole, he doesn't call us to to have a whole bunch of stuff ahead of time and to be this talent. And, you know, if you don't have it, oh, you know, you're now useless. He just calls us to follow. So beautiful. So simple. I like that. I had a friend this week who called himself a doorknob. He goes, I'm doorknob. And he goes, but God can use a doorknob. I'm like, well, yeah, that's how you open the door. 
<laughs> so yes, don't be all talented and all that. <laughs> yeah, a few things like, you know, you talked about, you know, the spirit is in us. God is in us. You cannot separate the Trinity. If the Spirit's in us, so is the Father and the Son. And I totally agree with, you know, what Paul said. It's really, really simple. You know, Jesus said his yoke was light. Religion has messed it all up and made it complicated. It's not. We don't have to be anything for God, just ourselves. And so long as we recognize him. I want to ask a question here. I was glad that you tried to deal with, with you know, verses 29 to 30. <laughs> I spent hours on that this week. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I think you did, did a fair job of addressing it. However, it's still... For me, anyway, it left a question because the wording indicates that some are chosen and some are not. That's the word, you know, you can't get away from the wording there, you know, that it suggests predestination, which I don't hold by at all. And I suspect it's probably translation yep. that the wording doesn't come across the way it was originally intended. So I can I can give you just a short. So the idea that God selects some for salvation and therefore selects some not for salvation is called double predestination. And the Bible does not teach that. And so in theology books, you'll see double predestination. It's like, no, it, that is not the message. That um, God's, God's sovereignty and human free will always go together. And one guy gave this great illustration that um, you have to pull yourself up by both ropes at the same time. If you let go of one, you'll fall because you'll find out that both ropes are one rope connected over a pulley. It, you always have to hold on to both. But um, early, the early church fathers didn't speak about predestination that much because they didn't look at the passage that way. It wasn't until you know a thousand years later that people were like, are we selected for salvation? And and. Um, and then that became this huge battle, Calvinists, Arminians, we, we talked about this. And then Karl Barth came along and said, we've got to be looking at this text wrong because predestination and the Arminian view of, of it purely, purely being our choice doesn't fit the rest of scripture. And so there's got to be another perspective. And you realize that the language he's using here is quite reminiscent of Israel's story where God did select people it selected Israel, selected Abraham, created the nation. But as Romans says in the next chapter, not all people who were part of Israel were part of the spiritual line of God's people. Like you can opt out. And so you have to include the opt out part. Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty simple. You know, <laughs> there's thousands of pages written on. No, no. It's pretty no, simple. No, but it comes down to something pretty simple. You know, God is saying, do you want me to be your God or do you want to be God? Right. That's your choice. And your whole life. Yep. That's yep. your choice. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure, you know, you know, whenever we encounter something in scripture that seems really confusing, part of my job is to lean into it and go, make sure I understand this before I speak anything from here. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I dug into this this week, but, um, but it's like, no, when... 
when you dig into it, you realize, you realize the emphasis is the second half of verse 29. To become like his son so that the son would be the firstborn. Like it goes there for a reason. So you have to see that passage to land there. And then you realize, right, this is the invitation to be in Jesus, not in Buddha or my uncle or like it. This is where this is going. All right, I've said this enough. You can tell I get wound up because I spent, <laughs> I wrestled with this one this week. I find passages like this interesting. It's uh, very well delivered, very kind of on message on point, And it's like one little thing can hitch it up, you know? And I find that fascinating about humans. Like, I don't think that's us as a group. I think that's humans. Anyways, the biggest thing that stood out to me was like that the father has a plan, you know, and, and it can't get hitched up. And I just think like, what would the church look like if we actually believed that? Like we are in, I find we're desperately worried that like someone will misunderstand something. Like, we don't want to say God loves you too much because then, like, you'll think that you're allowed to sin. You know what I mean? But we don't want to talk about sin too much because then you won't know God loves you. And it's like a whole dance. And it's just like, I wonder if we weren't so worried about that if, like, maybe the message would be clearer. <laughs> Anyways, that's, like, what's really hitting me. Of It just seems like we're in this pendulum of, like, you're allowed to say this, but don't say that too and we really, we, we miss the point of, you could probably shut up and not say anything today and, and God would have came. No offense. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I was thinking something like that earlier because part of the problem, like part of the problem you're identifying is when people grab a couple words and build a theology around it, not even respecting the sentence that it's in Never mind the paragraph it's in and then the book that it's found in. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that's it's very interesting. Welcome to the internet. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I'm just going to, um, just what Leah said about that dance of you know, not saying too much. And uh, no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, and I just, this week, uh, Steve Bell put out another of his podcasts. He's starting to do this podcast called Way Stations. He's at a, this is number two. And his second one is with Dr. Randy Woodley, Reverend Dr. Randy Woodley. And Randy Woodley has written extensively about an indigenous perspective on creation and faith. It's an hour long conversation. And one of the things he talks about is that Western Christianity tends to be so distrusting of the process, of the plan, that it's like we call a potluck, and then we have to explain every meal, what you're supposed to do with each piece, and not only that, not only explain things like everyone's five, but then we take the food, we cut it up, we chew it up, and then we give it. <laughs> like, it is so overhandled. Like, we're not trusting that the Creator has a plan, that He is totally capable of bringing this to fruition. His specific issue is how Western ways of living out the faith, the colonization of our faith, 
has led to this way of not an Indigenous understanding. And I'm not talking about Aboriginal Indigenous in terms of North American, but like a rooted understanding of who God is and what salvation is, and that there's something much bigger yeah. that's unfolding. What we do matters, but it doesn't maybe matter as much as we're so worried and concerned about. I think part of my exhaustion really stems from yeah. some of that stuff. That's good. Let me offer a prayer, and then we'll close with the song, and then we'll get some food out. Father, uh, Father, through our discussion, I am drawn to your invitation um, to take joy and and play in the in in the relationship with you and the trust with you, Father. I think about my friends, and that when I give myself over to just enjoying the friendship and playing and laughing and receiving that there is a strength there and to know that you've got a plan and your plan is good and it your plan will involve me my, I will be blessed that it is good for me um, Lord I just really appreciate that invitation to just rest and trust you and be along for the ride and just follow. Thank you. Lord, I would pray that more and more we would have that deep trust and assurance that gives us a foundation as we live life, as we go through what we go through. Lord, thank you for this morning and for the good humor and playfulness today. Yeah, you're good to us. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.